Well, well, well. Good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. Welcome to a Bible study tonight. My name is uh, Steve Brooks. This is Pastor Kurt Borden. Uh, welcome to our Bible study, The Continuing Journey, Long Journey Through the Book of Ezekiel. To give us a slight reprieve before we uh, jump into chapter 20, I, you know, I missed the last time uh, I was down with my ankle, the last uh, Wednesday we had a Bible study, and uh, so I said, Kurt, where are we at? Chapter 36? <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're grateful for what the Lord uh, has for us, and um, it's always good to remind ourselves why we do what we do right? That we open up God's word together because we have this deep held conviction that God is always speaking and that God has a word to speak to us. And when we gather together in community around God's word, that is one of the ways that God can speak clearly to us. So I hope that you came tonight with a sense of expectation that that's what God wants to do and will do if we will open up our hearts to listen. So today um, is Psalm 115 day. Uh, if you read through the Psalms, one Psalm every day, and then you just keep starting over, you have to start over twice during the year because there's 150 Psalms. Today you land on Psalm 115, and I think it's very fitting uh, for actually what we're going to be studying tonight in uh, Ezekiel 20. So let's pray together. Not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you, all you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to us. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And everyone said, Amen indeed. Well, we are in chapter 20 tonight. I'm going to pick up with verse 1. And we are, by way of encouragement, in the last hard section of uphill, I would say. We're, we're going to hit a plateau when we start talking about other nations. It's always fun to see other people get in trouble as opposed to yourself. So that'll be a lot more fun. And then we get to the heaven part, which is our, our great enjoyment. So we, we have a little bit more to go, and it continues to be hard, because how long should you be grounded? Remember as a kid? As long as it takes. But when you're a kid, it seems like forever. I've been punished my entire life, and it's still the same day you got grounded, right? <laughs> But it's dinner time. <sighs> if the Bible teaches us anything, is that God runs on a different time schedule than us. And it takes a lot longer for us to change than we want to admit. 
God knows us, knows that, and in a sense, that's coming through with Ezekiel. This part takes a lot longer than we would want. Uh, we would say, God, yeah, we, we got it, we got it, but we don't got it. So you all know me in analogies. I love them. And I think we can follow through with our analogy tonight. You've been raising your child, getting them through a heroin addiction. You've done the hard, hard stuff. You've stayed up with them. You've gotten them to eat when they didn't want to eat. You've cleaned up their vomit in the bathrooms. You stayed up with them when they are shaking. And they're just starting to take the right steps. And one day they come home from their uh, AA meeting or NA meeting, whatever group therapy they're going to. And they say, Mom and Dad, guess what? I met the most wonderful man or woman at this group tonight. And we're going to get married. And they say, it's all going to be good. This person is perfect for me. They understand me. And as a parent, what do you say? Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a technical term here I'm looking for. Uh, hell no. Um, <laughs> no, no. And, and as a parent, you just want to say, look, I've known you since ever. I've been with you your entire life. I've been the one going through everything with you. So yes, I hope someday you meet the right person and you can have a marriage where that completes you. But we're not doing that in the middle of rehab. I'm sorry. And so we're that stage tonight. Israel says, God, we got it. We figured, you're, you're so good, thank you. We don't need your help anymore. Um, what it was, the, cooking the food over the poop that got him, you think? Yeah, yeah, probably. That, that gets most people, it really does. Um, <laughs> So God may seem a little bit harsh tonight, as he has for a couple of chapters, but he's pretty insistent. We're going to finish through this cycle here. I'm going to get you in a much, much better place. You're starting to see the benefit, sure, but we're not there yet. So we begin in chapter 20, verse 1. On August 14th, during the 17th year of King Jehoiachin, uh, captivity, some of the leaders of Israel came to request a message from the Lord. So let's stop and sort of put ourselves in context here. <clears throat> if we can call up the map from last week that had Josiah's sons, the, the kings that succeeded Josiah. Remember, King Josiah was a great king, probably who David pretended to be. And Josiah was the man. But he was killed in an incredible tragic event that was the last gasp of righteous Israel. And so we had a number of sons that came to the throne. So first we had Yohanan. He was not the oldest of Josiah's sons, but he was the most liked. And so the Egyptians had killed Josiah. When they lose their battle against the Babylonians and retreat back, the Egyptian pharaoh, a man named Necho, says, it's probably not a good idea for me to leave the son of the man I killed in charge of Judah. So no offense, you're fired. Get out. And so he, he gets rid of Yohanan. He ruled for three months. And he picks the oldest son of Josiah, which is Eliakim, but now it's Jehoiakim. So there we go. He is Egypt's man until the day he's not. Uh, he will rule for, for some time. And eventually his son comes to the throne. And poor Judah is stuck between these two groups. Do we ally with the Egyptians? Do we ally with the Babylonians? And so they're putting us uh, here in the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, which is the son. So this is a son of Josiah. He is a wavering, ineffectual king. And in fact, the way Ezekiel describes it here. It's during his what? Is it his reign or his, yeah, his captivity? <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit of a poke in the eye there. Um, he's not exactly the, the strong ruler. So it's a desperate time for sure. Judah does not know which way to go. God's been saying from the beginning, I am the way, 
you should go. There's no alliance, no military treaty that's going to save you because what's wrong is a spiritual problem. You may see the geopolitics and worry, but the problem is your relationship with me has come to a horrible end. So we're going to fix that. So you go back to our map for a second, or, or, or King's son. If you can sort of imagine the, the kings as a time dial, Zedekiah is the end. Remember, Zedekiah is the last line of David. He has his sons killed before him, and then he's blinded, and he's taken off to Babylon. So if this is a clock, we're almost there. We're almost, in a sense, at the end of the rehab, but not yet. So that will inform God's answer. Yeah, just a real quick comment. Um, as, you kind of, as we kind of start easing into this chapter, there's this, this uh, phrase. Uh, it wasn't in Kurt's uh, translation, but it's in mine and maybe in yours too. Uh, they came to do what? What do the elders do? Inquire of the Lord. Now that is a, that's a phrase, like in the whole in the Old Testament. Uh, Kurt and I sometimes we feel like we're going here and there and everywhere, but on Tuesday mornings we're teaching uh, through uh, uh, through David's life right now, and one of the things that you'll notice when David inquires of the Lord, good things happen. When David neglects to inquire of the Lord, which actually it's more that he neglects to do it than he actually does it. That's interesting, right? Um, nonetheless, when th- things go well, when people inquire, so it, it's all of a sudden, Kurt, you see, oh, maybe we're going to have a little bit of breakthrough here, right? But alas, you kind of, that's one of the ways that scripture gets you. What you think is going to happen, what you come to expect, it will turn in order to get our attention. And that's what's fixing to happen here. We really can read between the lines and this is not original to me. The the rabbis have said this for a long time. Can you guess the question? They're going to inquire of the Lord. What are they going to ask him? Should we side with the Babylonians or should we side with the Egyptians? Which is it? Because we tried both and both has turned out poorly. That's not the answer. Should I date the guy that I met in rehab or the discussion group or the guy I met at the gas station? Uh, Neither? Uh, That's kind of where we're at. So this is why God responds the way he does. Verse 2. This message came to me from the Lord. Son of man. And I know I sound like a broken record. Everybody's got that down, right? Son of man. We're at all-time low with what that really means. Uh, It means someone that wants to get married in the middle of rehab. But God's going to change that to be the son of God. Son of man, give the leaders of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. How dare you come to me and ask for my help? As surely as I live, I will tell you nothing. This is the word from the sovereign Lord. God hangs up the phone. That didn't go the way we expected. Um, It's not very loving and kind. What's up with you? Being a big meanie. Leave us alone. Wait, no, no, no. We don't want that. Don't leave. Help us. You can't play games with God. You can't do half measures with God. Finally, when the armies are at their throats and they've tried every horrible thing under the sun, including, he'll tell them in a few minutes, burning your own kids, now you want me to come and give you a way out. You want to escape your choices, the consequences of your choices. You don't really want what I want to tell you. But God does an interesting thing. He first says, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say anything to you. And then verse 4, son of man, bring judgment against them and condemn them. So God actually does have something to say. Make them realize how loathsome the actions of their ancestors really were. (laughs) Give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. When I chose Israel and revealed myself to her in Egypt, I swore that I, the Lord, would be her God. I promised that I would bring her and her descendants out of Egypt to a land I had discovered and explored for them. A good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The best of all lands anywhere. Then I said to them, Each of you, get rid of your idols. 
Do not defile yourselves with the Egyptian gods, for I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> but they rebelled against me and would not listen. They did not get rid of their idols or forsake the gods of Egypt. And I threatened to pour out my fury on them to satisfy my anger while they were still in Egypt. But I didn't do it, for I acted to protect the honor of my name. So let's stop. We're, we're stacking up things here. We, we need to unpack quite a bit. God is starting at the beginning with them. Just like I think in my analogy, a parent would say, you want to get married today? The guy you met at lunch. Great, great. Let's start off your first day of school. All right, let's remember the day you wanted to, I don't know, have a a chameleon as a pet. I mean, you've made some bad, bad choices all along the way. God is really sort of laying out his own process, maybe his own mistakes, certainly his regrets that he has made along this way. And for a Judean, really for an Israelite, for a Jew today, God is getting at the very center of their identity. Because no matter what happens to a Jew, and a lot has happened in history, I mean, think about the groups of people that have tried to wipe them out. And it's almost like the who's who in the world, right? I mean, I mean I'm sure I could... Uh, Egyptians, Amalekites, uh, Canaanites, Babylonians, Assyrians, Greeks, Persians, Muslims, Germans, Russians. Who am I, who am I forgetting? Romans. Hmm? Romans. Romans, yeah, it's huge, Kurt. That's a good job there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's probably a shorter list that has never waged war on the Jews, which is the Eskimos. That's it. The Eskimos, I'm kidding. <laughs> So what do they hold on to? They've, they've held on to, they've had this very close chosen relationship with God, and it has sustained them. If you need a living miracle that God still works in our world, look at the nation of Israel. I, that they're still here with the enemies that they still have is a miracle. Hopefully, the more I tell you about Babylon and Egypt and all of that mess, You can look at a map today, and it's kind of the same. You have pretty much the whole Middle East set to destroy Israel, and they're still there. Um, But God is sort of not letting them get away with that story now. He's saying, yes, I have been with you. I have sustained you. But it's not been good. You were pretty wretched from the beginning. Now, let's just review ourselves so how long were they in Egypt? Do you remember? What was it? <laughs> yeah. 400 years. That's a little bit. During that time, we're told, they prayed, and it got more focused and frequent towards the end, for sure, but that's a long time. Now, how did God break them out of Egypt? What did he have to do? He sent Moses, very unwillingly on the part of Moses, and he performed uh, miracles on the part of God. And these 12 plagues hmm. did what? 10 plagues, sorry. I'm with you tonight, Kurt. <laughs> sorry, thank you. What would I do without Steve? I <laughs> he, he wanted 12, but they were done at 10. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> He had two really good backups. But, but, but you look at the plagues in Egypt, and who, who are they really getting after? Yes, if, if I'm hearing you right, it's, it's basically the power of the Egyptian gods. If you look at each one of the plague, it was supposed to be a power of one of the Egyptian preferred gods. And God leaves them all just in the dust. He crushes them all. Throughout Moses' writing, there really is this, this proof that the Egyptian gods, as old as they are, as powerful as they are, as well-respected in the world as they were at that time, they were nothing. They were nothing but pointless statues compared to him. 
even to the point of the sun. You know, the sun is darkened, the great uh, sun god Ra. And I won't take you through all of it, but Pharaoh, who is, again, the god on earth, he's utterly defeated. Uh, he loses his son, which is Horus in the Egyptian mythology. And again, that's defeated. It's, it's just a, it's a bloodbath of knocking over fake gods. And God's saying, but you never really gave up worshiping the gods that I freed you from in slavery. Mm. You never stopped thinking about the drug dealer that I took you from. You never stopped daydreaming about going in to get heroin again. We can't fix what we have by getting married to somebody new today. We have to deal with this issue here. And it's, it's a hard place. What Egyptian god did they, the Israelites particularly worship? Do you remember? Just right out of the gate. Yeah, you guys really got to speak up because we're old. He is old. <laughs> yeah, Ball, Ball's a good guess, but what does Ball ride? He doesn't drive in a car. A calf. Yep, very good. You get a gold star. So right out of the gates, they take the jewelry that they stole from the Egyptians, which God said, eh, just take something nice for yourself and let's go. And so that gold should have been used to build things for the temple or uh, maybe to give to people that didn't have something. But instead, they melt it down and they build a big giant calf when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and they start worshiping it. Uh, the Egyptians have this practice that you will describe the God by the animals or the attributes that are around the God. So you may not really be describing the God through depicting him, but you're showing in this case, Baal is powerful because he rides a bull. So Baal and Asherah, these gods that are still worshipped by the Canaanites, also have their versions in Egypt, uh, the very old cults. So God's reminding your revered ancestors right out of the gates, yeah, golden calf, and you never, ever really left. Yeah. So just a couple of interesting, interesting facts as we dig into this. So there's... The, the famous 10 plagues in Egypt, that's against the Egyptians and the Egyptian gods. Guess how many times in the book of Exodus and then also carrying over into the book of Numbers uh, does Moses note how many times the people said that they were ready to go back to Egypt? 10 times. And so, that, that, and so it's interesting... You, you know, the scripture starts out, you know, Genesis chapters 1 through 3 with, the, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Then what happens to them? They're exiled, right? So then God calls Abraham, and then Abraham experiences an exile where? To Egypt. All right. So there's these, these, these repeated stories of exile and return. So when God starts having this conversation with him, them in chapter 20, he kind of starts where their ancestors were, in exile in Egypt. And they are in exile in Babylon. And he's like, do you really remember why your ancestors got to where they were? And it's like, Hold on a second. We don't like this stuff. Because am I really to blame for what my ancestors did? Is this my fault that we're here? And we say, no. Right? But how much of, how much of those, those negative, um, destructive behaviors from our ancestors do we hold on to that hold us in bondage, hold us in exile in places God never wants us to be. It's very easy for us not to let go of them. And I think that's one of the reasons why God is saying, hold on a second. We got to go back and re rehash all of this to figure out why we are where we are. And that's where we're landed here. Yeah, that's, it's really good. Now keep this in balance. 
he still loves them. Yeah. He said it over and over again. I will not give up on you. You're my child. I'm not going to leave you. But I'm also not going to lie to you. And I'm not going to let you lie to yourself. So yes, you are the chosen people of all the earth. Nobody has the kind of relationship that you and I have. Never going to back out on that. But you have to understand, this relationship that I have with you, I wanted to begin with you and then spread to the rest of the world. And as we talked about last week, it's been going in the opposite direction. The world is not becoming more like our relationship. You're becoming more like the world. And always, when I was a kid, I would read these and think, what's God got against idols? Who cares? They're making statues. It's fine. It's no big deal. Context, context, context. He doesn't particularly care about the idols he cares about what the idols lead us to do. Right. These are not idols in general. These are specific, very evil gods, Asherah and Baal. And we've talked about them ad nauseum, but they are the main problem here. They are the heroine. In the same chapter, let me pull you to verse 30. We may run out of time, and I don't want to leave this dangling. So same chapter, 20, verse 30. Ezekiel is finishing his summary up with the modern times, but he reviews it for us by saying, Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. Do you plan to pollute yourselves just as your ancestors did? Do you intend to keep prostituting yourselves by worshiping detestable idols? This is not figuratively. Remember, with the Canaanite fertility cults, women have to serve the God by being a ritual prostitute. Unfortunately, we have horrible biblical examples of patriarchs like Judah going and sleeping with prostitutes because this is what the Canaanites did to people to get them into church. <laughs> you know, it's old-time evangelism, like I like to call it. Um, nothing gets people in the pews like... Um, <laughs> can you imagine someone saying, give me some of that old-time religion? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> Um, anyway, it gets worse. 31. For... Yeah, sure. Come on, dude. <laughs> For when you offer gifts to them and you've given your little children to be burned as sacrifices, mm -hmm. you continue to pollute yourselves to this day. And that's what all the Canaanite fun and laugh leads to. They're killing babies. And it's not just the Canaanites that did this. It's Judah. It's Israel. So this is the problem. This is why God cannot simply let us go out and have a regular life at this point. Because evil has become good. Religion for them has become evil. So we'll go back, um, pick up. God continuing the story. It's, it's this running theme, he said. It's... it's birthed in you in Egypt, but it really um, has never left. I'll pick up in verse 10, again, of chapter 20. So no, Before you go to sure. 10, just in that, that phrase in, in verse 9, just underline that, but for my namesake. Yeah. It's really an important, this is, this is God's motivating uh, drive to stay in relationship with people. Why doesn't God just write us off? Like, why didn't God just write Adam and Eve off when they ate the fruit? Just, let's get rid of them. Let's start over. Well, God, God is relational. These idols, it's really the basis of what Pastor Kurt and I say a lot. It's the basis of a life of manipulation. You can manipulate an idol to give you anything you want that idol to give you. That's what they're for. But for to be in a relationship with God, that, it, it's like God is relational at his core. And for him to write off people, it's forsaking the very essence of himself. And so whenever he says that he's doing something for his name's sake, it's just not so that he can look good for the, for the other gods. But it's like he is saying, this is who I am and I will not let you go. I will continue to pursue you because this is who we are together. We are partners, covenant partners, and we'll get to that here in a little while. 
and I will not let you go. But that, that's repeated uh, regularly throughout this, this chapter. So just note when those pop up. Now remember our riddle from two weeks ago? What is my mother? What do people believe about the female lion? She's a monster because of the way her cubs act. That is God's name. People have come, and still you see it today. People think the God of the Bible, particularly the God of the Old Testament, is mean and cruel and vindictive because they don't put it in context. God was trying to save their heroin-addicted child. That's right. And yes, you do some crazy things to save your child's life. What more do you do when your child is dedicating itself to a cult where they burn children alive? Do you give up on them? Or do you get in there and you fight with love until you can save them? This is the story God's trying to tell them. It's not all been great, but I'm staying in this. I'm not giving up on you. Verse 10. So I brought my people out of Egypt and led them into the wilderness. There I gave them my laws so they could live live by keeping them. So I got you out away from the evil and the idols and the slavery, and I tried to teach you right and wrong. Yes, all those who kept them will live. And I gave them my Sabbath day of rest as a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I, the Lord, had set them apart to be holy, making them and my people. And for a Jew, this is, the sentence is everything to set them apart to be my special people. The Jews know this phrase to the bottom of their heart. It's the Am Segula, the chosen people. God saying, you still are mine. You're still my child. Of all the people on the planet, you matter to me most. I've been trying to teach you right and wrong, trying to get you through this. You're messing up pretty greatly but we're not, we're not done. Verse 13, but the people of Israel rebelled against me and they refused my law there in the wilderness. They wouldn't obey my instructions, even though obedience would give them life. And they also violated my Sabbath days. So I threatened to pour out my fury on them and I made plans to utterly consume them in the desert. But again, I held back in order to protect the honor of my name. So for two times he's saying, probably should have ended you folks, started over, made a whole new species, but I didn't do it. Part of it is because I am a good God that wants good. Remember, good is when you don't have to, but you give life that gives life, like a tree producing seeds that produces another tree, fruit that produces fruit. He is the God of life who produces life that produces life. So he doesn't really care about causing death. It's not in his nature. With all the heavy things we're talking about, is the Sabbath that important? <laughs> it is. That's a perfect way to say it. It is to God. We don't treat it like it's that important. What day is the Sabbath? Saturday. It's Saturday. As a kid, I grew up. I always thought it was Sunday. Because you go to the stores, right? And you could buy anything on Sundays because of the blue, blue law. But it's actually Saturday. And we sort of remember that. We have our work day. And then we're supposed to have a day of rest. And then we have a day of worship. So those two together. But <sighs> then the devil invented sports, right? No, <laughs> I love sports. But uh, that's what's taken over the Sabbath, or sports day. And if you have kids in sports, boy, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all that happens on that day. We find ways to get really, really busy. The very first command, he said, was, yeah, keep the Sabbath holy. Before love, before forgive your enemies, before anything else. And even here, he connects it to people will know that you're different because you keep the Sabbath. It's so important to put this in perspective. It's not that other people in the world didn't take breaks from their week. Like the Egyptians would work 10 days straight and then they would take four days off. And then they would go back to work. But those four days they took off 
were not days for the average person to spend with God. The gods could care less about what the people did. As long as the people, through the agency of the state, through Pharaoh, gave the gods the offerings, the gods did not care. So you paid your taxes, the government took care of it. Gods didn't care. What the true God is presenting is so very different. And we'll see him do this over and over again. It's not that I just want the priests to worship me. It's not that I have a relationship just with David. The law, the Sabbath, is for who? For everybody. In fact, God is strenuous about it. For everybody living in your country, whether they're men or women, whether they're Jews or non-Jews, whether they're animals or slaves or people, take a break and come spend time with me. Come to worship. Study my law. No group of people did that. And really, we see this sort of multiplied in the first century. Everybody is learning to read the Bible, the Torah. Ancient world, that didn't happen. Most people couldn't read and write. Jews were the exception. They were teaching everybody to read and understand the scriptures. God did not intend it for a select few that reigned over everybody else. A lot of times religion does turn into control, but that's not what God started. This is open and available to everyone, and everyone is responsible for this. So what you do on the seventh day of the week, God says, it actually matters to me. I know everybody else has an opinion, and you're all busy, and yeah, yeah, but when you inquire of me, which you started out, right? You wanted my opinion? I'll tell you my opinion. I don't just say things because they sound old-fashioned. I really meant it, the first command, keep the Sabbath. But he continues on. I probably should have wiped you up, but I didn't. He says, uh, where am I? In verse, the latter, yeah. That way the nations who saw me lead my people out of Egypt won't be able to claim that I destroyed them because I couldn't take care of them. But I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them to the land that I'd given them, flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful place on earth. I told them this because they had rejected my law, ignored my will for them, and violated my Sabbath days. Their hearts were given to their idols. Nevertheless, I pitied them and held back from destroying them in the wilderness. Then I warned their children and told them not to follow in their parents' footsteps, defiling themselves with the idols. I am the Lord your God, I told them. Follow my laws, pay attention to my instructions, and keep my Sabbath day holy, for they are a sign to remind you that I am the Lord your God. But their children... Two rebelled against me. They refused to keep my laws and follow my instructions, even though obeying them would have given them life. And they also violated my Sabbath day. So again, I threatened to pour out my fury on them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my judgment against them to protect the honor of my name among the nations, who, th who they had seen uh, in my power bringing them out of Egypt. But I took a solemn oath against them, while they were in the wilderness, I vowed I would scatter them amongst the nations, which is exactly what they're going through now, because they did not obey my law. They scorned my instructions by violating my Sabbath day. Is God repeating himself? <laughs> Sometimes he does that to make a point. You ever found yourself doing that as a parent? <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you? Well, apparently a few more because it's not working. Um, Violate my, uh, my Sabbath days and longing for idols of their ancestors. I gave them over to their worthless customs and laws that would not lead to life. I let them pollute themselves with the very gifts that I had given them. I allowed them to give their firstborn children as offerings to their gods so I might devastate them and show them that I alone am the Lord." Seems like the last play comes back to get them. It's all fun and games when the Egyptians are getting us not beat out of them, but not so much. Steve always does a good job of reminding us in the New Testament, Paul warns that when we get deep into sin, God's 
plan usually is to let us experience the sin. And you think it would be exactly the opposite, right? They would snatch us out of it and, you know, no, no. But really, we're not children. His goal is not to make us dependent creatures on him. His goal is to teach us how to differentiate between right and wrong. So he's saying that here again. You wanted all of this? You wanted the heroin? I let you try it. And look what's happened. We okay? So just, just note that repetitive. So what, what is getting repeated more and more throughout this? This reference to the Sabbath and then this reference to idols. Okay, we've already mentioned the idols piece that, that idol, at its heart, idol worship is a means to seek to manipulate God or the gods for your own ends. Okay? And how often do you have to manipulate something to make it work out for you? All the time. It never stops. What is at the heart of the Sabbath? The word literally means, Pastor Kurt, uh, to stop. To, to stop. To stop the frenetic whatever it is of you trying to create your own kingdom and, your, and, and you secure yourself on your terms. Whether that's with the king, uh, uh, with Jehoiakim, uh, you know, that, the, the list that we put up a while ago with, with Neko or... No, 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 what, no. Just stop. And listen to my, to, my, to my word and to trust my goodness. And, and so it's just this invitation, I think, the, the repetitive nature of what is going on here. It's just, just stop. How is it working out for you when you get to the place where you're having to burn your kids in the fire? That is just so far beyond our comprehension for us to do that, Right? But that's what's happening here because they have, they have allowed themselves to become convinced that they can manage the situation. And how does it work out for them? But the sad thing about it is Pastor Kurt had this little friendly debate going on. What is the Old Testament actually supposed to read like? I make the contention that it's supposed to read like tragedy. That is there really ever a time in Israel's history where they are acting as if God really has their back and that they can trust his goodness and his love? Is there ever a time? It seems like maybe when David comes on the scene, maybe. But then you really dig into David's life and what you got there, Kurt? It's not good. It's not good. And so he is really, God is really unearthing not only Israel's problem, but all of our problems. Are we really trusting God enough to stop and to trust a connection and a covenant relationship with him? Or are we persisting in a life of manipulation? Or we try to manipulate God for our own ends? And, uh, man, they are getting an earful here, for sure. So how would we do if God said, let's talk about your life? Really? Let's talk about what you were afraid of as a child. The times I helped you. And a lot of times we confuse God withholding. Like he said, I didn't do anything at that time because we confuse that with happiness with blessing that God's delighted with us but somewhere inside we know he's really not so this is a hard question to answer for all of us I don't like to answer this but how many of the problems that we developed in childhood are we still battling today I mean when you talk to people are you are you here and now or are you talking to somebody that you wanted to say something 10 years ago, but you didn't say it? This is what God is trying to shake loose with them. You're so proud of your heritage, and you should be. Nobody has this. But you forget all along the way, you've ignored me. You, you're proud to be Jews, but you don't follow the law. 
you're, you're proud that I stand with you, but when I say come see me once a week, you don't do it. And it's led, led to this horrible place. Something happened to me, two events, um, separate by several years. Uh, one of my professors, um, Dr. John Currid, he was from the University of Chicago. He uh, taught me in uh, North Carolina, actually. Uh, I did archaeology with him. He was an Egyptologist, which eventually is what I studied. But he had been responsible for doing the digs in North Africa in Carthage. Remember we talked about this. Carthage was a Canaanite colony, a Phoenician colony, technically. And uh, he was the primary excavator of 40,000 baby graves. And he just, one day, he, this is, tells me how old I am, he had the slides. Um, he just went through them and over and over jars with burned little baby parts. Um, necklaces, little bead necklaces around these little babies' necks. For centuries, they did this. The most despicable people you can imagine on the face of the earth. And then you discover it's not just them. It's Judah. It's the line of David. It's King Manasseh. And, and you know, not that the Jews are worse than their neighbors. They're acting like their neighbors. But man, that changes you. And then you start to think in our world, do our kids ever suffer the fire because we're doing something else? And there's lots of ways to burn your kids. This is the most extreme. Uh, but when we get so focused on, you know, as they did, on the harvest, on politics, on survival, on this or this, and, and we just, God gave you this life and there's no time for it. And the other event was, was losing my son. So you, you hold a child and it dies. And as horrible as that is, it teaches you life. What a precious, incredible thing that is. So that just that juxtaposition has always stayed with me. Why I am driven to share so much about the Old Testament. We, we read a surface and we don't get sort of that depth of, of why this mattered. But let's try, I don't want to end on a, such a horrible note, to, to get to the remedy. We'll jump down to verse 32. And this should sound very familiar. God's saying, you said, we want to be like the nations all around us. We want to be like the goyim, the people we hate, the people that are killing us. We want to be like them. We like them. They have kings. We want kings. Remember that discussion in Samuel? Why can't we be like them, Daddy? Give us a king. Yeah, well, how'd that work out? How's Jehoiachin doing for you guys? You loving it? It's great, isn't it? But what you have in mind will never have... Oh, uh, we want to be like the nations all around us who serve idols of wood and snow. But what you have in mind will never happen. Surely as I live, says the Lord, I will rule you with an iron fist in great anger and with awesome power. With might and fury, I will bring you out from the lands where you were scattered. I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations. There I will judge you face to face. I will judge you there as I did your ancestors in the wilderness after bringing them out of Egypt, says the sovereign Lord. I will count you carefully and hold you to the terms of the covenant. I will purge you of all those who rebel and sin against me. I will bring them out of them, bring them out of the countries where they are in exile. And they will never enter the land of Israel. And when this happens, you will know that I am the Lord. Uh, let me jump down. hope to explain this. Verse 42. Uh, then when I have brought you home, so he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this all over again. I'm going to put you into exile. I'm going to make you face what you've done. I'm going to separate you, frankly, from those that can be saved to those that do not want to be saved. And those that can be saved, I'm going to bring you back. When I have brought you home to the land I promised your ancestors, you will know that I am God. You will look back at your sins and hate yourself because of the evil you have done. You will know that I am the Lord. O people of Israel, 
when I have honored my name by treating you mercifully in spite of your wickedness, says the sovereign Lord. This is going to be hard. And I know today you want to marry the guy from the AA class. We got a lot more work to do. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be iron-fisted. I'm going to be hard. I'm going to be loving. But I'm going to get you through this. I read a book last weekend. Uh, read all the time, but once in a while you read an incredible book. Uh, this one I would recommend. It's called Free Like a Jew. And it's written by a Holocaust survivor. She is reflecting on what happened when the Nazis tried to exterminate the, the Jews. Uh, she and Ezekiel, I think, could understand a lot about each other. But she says in the book, you know what? We've kind of got it all wrong. Today, we completely waller in the Holocaust. We talk about it. We teach our kids about it. It's horrible. We build museums about it. She actually says in the book, a person that doesn't know anything about the Jews goes to Washington, D.C., and that goes to the Holocaust Museum. She goes, that's not what they need to learn about the Jews. What happened right after the Holocaust? They got their nation back, which is exactly what they're talking about here. You will come to the point of death, and when you think all hope is gone, God will bring you back. And the life you have will be better because you'll be free of the heroin, the sin that has corrupted you before. And that's what she's saying. We can talk about the Holocaust, and we should, but we should talk about that Israel lives again. And this isn't even the first time. It's not even the second time. I mean, talk about a resurrected nation. Uh, they, they keep coming back. God does that as a sign for the rest of the world. There is no mistake, no problem, no generational sin, no stuff, junk you've inherited that you can't get rid of in your own life that God can't fix. It may be hard. It will be painful. But he's not giving up on you. Just as we take faith that Jesus still lives, I think the Old Testament, the tragedy, is trying to tell us it doesn't end on a bad note. They're still there. They're still in the story, as we will be. So yeah, this part goes on a lot longer than we want it to. But groundings usually do. But the ending is worth it. It really is. Questions? That's a lot. God talks um, to them about their, their sins in following the other gods, and one of them being the burning of their children, the sacrifice of their children. Couldn't we compare that now to abortion? Yes. And how painful would that discussion be with God? Because I guarantee you, over a 200-year period, we've killed a whole lot more than 40,000. Um, and we don't even bury them. So, yeah. Daniel, <clears throat> Tom. Could you review a little bit about the three different times he says to protect the honor of my name before the nations? This is, well, I'll take a stab at it. Let's see if you take a stab at it. This is really what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, good guy, but there was a few things where he, he got worked up, and this was one of them. He got really angry at the Pharisees because what they would do is say that he, Christ, was in essence doing the power by Satan. So the solution that God provides, the Pharisees were naming as evil. So that traps God. Everything, and not really, but it causes a big problem, that everything God does to help, they teach is evil. So people won't go to get the medicine. They won't go to get help because it's been labeled evil by those that are supposed to know better. And so that's why he's really focused on don't speak ill 
Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the action of God in this world when it comes to help. The name is sort of the Old Testament version of that. God's plan was that the name of Israel would be, or the name of God through Israel would be such a blessing that people would turn to the God of Israel to know salvation. And it kind of worked, Tom, didn't it? I mean, what are the biggest religions on our planet now? Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. Well, Judaism's not really big. It's okay. Islam and Christianity. Um, but they both have their roots in this story, in, in Christianity. So that's his plan. But like we talked about two weeks ago, the plan can't work if you all have convinced everybody that God is mean and nasty and, and cruel and wants you to kill babies and, and all that stuff. So he's not worried about his reputation in heaven. He's worried about his reputation here on earth. And again, what do we teach people in our lives about Christianity, about God? Is it good? Is it bad? Do you talk to your friends all the time about how much you hate your church? I hope not. Uh, um, or, you know, we don't lie. Um, church has problems. Um, but with Christ and the Spirit, we have solutions like nobody else does. That's my take. Yeah, so a couple of things to add to that, Tom. Um, when in Exodus, when God is about to destroy all the people because of the golden calf, uh, what does Moses say? He says, all the people all over the, earth, the world will say, you led these people out here to kill them. And no, he led them out there to be in partnership with them. Second thing, who bears God's name in the world? That's us. The people of God. And that's the third command. The third command is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We think that's about cussing. It's not about cussing any more than the man in the moon. It is about saying that you are a follower of God. And that you don't allow your life to be molded by his character. Name and character in the scripture are inextricably bound together, Tom. And so... If God is committed to partnership, he is going to do everything in his power to make sure that this partnership holds together for his namesake. And that namesake actually benefits us too because we're part of the partnership. Does that help? Good. Let me ask you this, you're a wise man. Do you think, based on what we know of the Jews, that God's plan was to wipe them out? Yeah. <laughs> Never. He made covenant with them. I mean, talk about the Teflon people. Uh, they take a licking and they're still on, still going. So may the church do as well. Good questions. Any others? Let's pray. Father, our God, we thank you for tonight. That we as believers walk in a place that's not easy or comfortable. Never when we see the family struggle or fight does it fill us with joy. But we know there is passion in what we say tonight because there is deep love in the midst of it. You knew the Israelites, the Judeans could do better and they weren't. Just as you know within us, we often can do much better. But we don't. Father, we confess what is so true to you, that there is a war inside of all of us. In fact, O oh Lord, we think there's a war in the soul of our country as we fight between what we're meant to do to honor your name and then what other people say is expedient and good and smart and wise to do in the world. Lord, we know we have dominion over the planet today. We control this place, and yet we fill it with such terrible things. We know we're capable of otherwise, that there can be moments of beauty, of tenderness, forgiveness. We can truly be your image, a true light that is greater than anything on this planet. But it's so hard for us to get there. So tonight, we pray that we would find some time this week 
maybe on the Sabbath when you invite us to your house, to walk that painful road of how we've done. We have made a lot of mistakes. You've seen them all. They hurt you, every one of them. And yet you do not love us less. You do not call us any less chosen. You've said again and again that our faulty failed life is worth the life of your own son. You were horrified that we burned other people's children to cover our own need. You would never ask that of us. And yet in the depths of your love, your son offered himself for all of us. May we really understand the difference between those two and know the depths of your love for us. Father God, this is our hour, you have said. This is our time when the story is written about us. It won't be Judah. It'll be the church. It'll be America. It'll be the believers across this world that stand up and say, God's name means something else. We as people may be imperfect, but we serve a God that is. And so despite our many mistakes, we need to proclaim the love and grace and truth that is behind the God that has been with us since the very beginning. So give us strength tonight, O Lord, to take this hard conversation and have it with our own family, our kids, especially the kids that have gone far away from us and we barely know what to say to them anymore. May we remember your bravery to share the hard things, but also the loving things. We know that's the way it gets better, and that's the way your name comes to represent the light it truly is. So help us to get to work. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Good night. Much love.